Hey, welcome to the Central Podcast. This morning's reading is from Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 2 to 20. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Have you come to inquire of me? As surely as I live, I will not let you inquire of me, declares the Sovereign Lord. Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? Then confront them with the detestable practices of their ancestors and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hand to the descendants of Jacob and revealed myself to them in Egypt. With uplifted hand, I said to them, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt into a land I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. And I said to them, Each of you, get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me, and they would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images that they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake their idols of Egypt. So I said I would pour out my wrath in them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. But for the sake of my name, I brought them out of Egypt. I did it to keep my name from being profaned in the eyes of the nations among whom they lived and in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites. Therefore, I led them out of Egypt and I brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws by which the person who obeys them will live. And also I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my decrees but rejected my laws by which the person who obeys them will live. And they utterly desecrated my Sabbath. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and destroy them in the wilderness but for the sake of my name. I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Also with uplifted hand I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands, because they rejected my laws and did not follow my decrees and desecrated my Sabbaths, for their hearts were devoted to their idols. Yet I looked on them with pity, And did not destroy them or put an end to them in the wilderness. I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not follow the statutes of your parents or keep the laws or defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between us. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And we thank God for his word as it still speaks to us today. I'm not really sure about you. But I, we, Joy and I, have found this whole series on rest really, really challenging. Like, what is it about the free time that you eventually get that makes binge-watching Netflix uh, the most the most attractive thing in the world? Honestly, it's like the Chinese takeaway of activities. Like, it feels the best, most compulsive, I need it, at the time. And then afterwards, you just feel bulk, right? Like, incredibly empty and incredibly full at the same time. And trying to stop to build rest that is intentional into our lives is a real wrestling match. And I was struck by something just last Friday night. It was a relatively normal Friday night. Joy and I were both in from work and we were wrecked from what was a pretty busy week. And on a Friday night, as part of what we do with Sabbath, we normally try to make an effort to cook something really good on a Friday night, like good food from scratch, something we haven't cooked before. We try to push the boat out a little bit. So Joy went to put Elle down to bed and I was in the kitchen cooking and 
Al went down and Joy came into the kitchen and, and, and then I became aware that she had started lurking, right? Like she, she's kind of just behind me, like sort of in the way, but kind of just there, didn't say anything, but I was just aware of her behind me, right? Now, I've said this lots of times, Joy and I have very different love languages, right? I'm sure you can probably tell me what they are now. I am all about gifts and acts of service, which basically makes me a complete weirdo, okay? The, the, the outworking of this is if you are tidy, if you clean my house and buy me nice things, basically I will love you. It's pretty pathetic, really. Joy, on the other hand, is all about words of affirmation and physical touch. So basically she's a big, needy, touchy-feely loser, right? So I'm cooking and I'm probably getting into it and I just become aware that she's hovering just around and behind me, right? Kind of in the way. And eventually I turn around and I'm like, what are you doing? And she just wants a hug. It's been a long week. It's a Friday night. She's tired. She just wants a hug. And what do I do? Well, these were the words that I found coming out of my mouth. Love, I've got like chicken on my hands and I'm trying to get this stuff ready. I've got my hands full. Like epic husbanding feel right there. And it's that phrase, I've got my hands full. That's the line that gets me. Too full to give you a hug. Too full to be a husband. Too full to be the one that you need right now. I've got my hands full. And what if that's the exact picture of my life sometimes when it comes to my relationship with Jesus and the space that I'm refusing to create in my life for him? The refusal to lay down my work, lay down my restlessness so my hands might not be full anymore so that I might have space to embrace him again. Because there's this, here's the thing, right? If we aren't making space for rest in our lives so we might rest in God, we're going to find it or fall into it somewhere else. And there's this question that I think maybe some of us need to ask ourselves today. And this is it. I wonder if some of you can't Sabbath because you're afraid of rest. Can't do it. Because you're afraid to do it. I've spent most of my life in the thick of it, right? In the thick of whatever action there is going on around me. Actively trying to do everything I can to place myself right in the middle of it. To busy myself. I shared a number of weeks ago that sometimes I feel that the ambition that can so easily take over my head and my heart is this desire to be exceptional, right? Not at anything in particular, just at everything, really. Like that record that runs in everyone's head that says you were made for more, created for significance and all that stuff. It just runs riot in mind sometimes and so the outworking of that is that I go after things hard I strive and I put myself slap right bang in the middle of it all and I've actually heard myself saying a phrase a number of times in my life that I'm embarrassed to even mention now I think I heard it from you know that like tv show Dirty Sanchez that was like kind of like a really poor man's UK equivalent of jackass, right? That show, I find myself, there was a phrase they used in that show all the time, I find myself saying it, and this is it, ah, you can sleep when you're dead. Which really, in our lives, is in relation to having a child who never really slept and wanting to like defy the fact that all of me wants to just lie down right here in the carpet and go to sleep right now. Ah, you can sleep when you're dead, right? I find myself saying it from time to time. And it sounds funny, right? But the thing is that once you start speaking a phrase like that, your heart believes it. And pretty soon your hands start to follow it right into restlessness. I mean, on one side, right, when this is all over and my life comes to an end and my family are having my headstone made, nobody wants to have a headstone that says something like, David, he slept a good 10 hours a night, or David, he was exceptional at resting, right? Nobody wants that, do they? 
But at the same time, and more dangerously, and more prevalently for me, there are swathes of people in our culture to which it could so easily read burned out, depressed, ruined three marriages, short-tempered with his kids, and on and on and on. Because rest is key. And to rest is to follow God's direct commands for our life, but also a rhythm that we are hardwired for. And in today's passage from Ezekiel, the prophet is speaking to the Israelites after they've been set free from a life in slavery in Egypt. And if you want the picture of what life was like in Egypt, for them, it was essentially bricks, 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 and more bricks all day, every day, without rest, without regard for their physical, emotional, or mental well-being. Just relentless. And Ezekiel is reminding them of the goodness of God, not just to bring them out of Egypt, but also to give them the Sabbath. In verse 12, it said this, Also I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us, so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. But they didn't remember the Sabbath. They forgot. And it's crazy that people, once enslaved to labor, now free, now literally free, still can't choose to rest. But the wider consequences are worse than just not resting. Because this was meant to be a sign to all the world that they belong to Yahweh. Because they forgot the Sabbath, they had forgotten God at the same time. That's the sign they chose. That's what the world saw. They had chosen to have their hands full, too full to embrace the one who had literally set them free. You see, our hearts aren't neutral. Their fertile soil. And by rejecting the Sabbath, they let work and other things become their idols. Verse 16, because they rejected my laws and did not follow my decrees and desecrated my Sabbaths, for their hearts were devoted to their idols. Our hearts aren't neutral. And if we don't cease our work, if we don't empty our hands, if we don't seek to embrace Jesus with all of our lives, our work, our desire for accomplishment, our self-reliance, our pride, our desire for money and image and more stuff just captures our heart. What if our fear of stopping might actually reveal what we really worship? So we have to rest. And ceasing, resting, embracing and feasting. Resting is not just a mechanism to refresh weary bodies, tired minds and heavy hearts. It's a way to resist the patterns of this world and give Jesus his rightful place in our lives. And I am so excited that lots of you are trying, right? Trying and finding out that it isn't easy, right? I was with a church member this week and they were talking about how they're really having a go at building Sabbath into their lives, like going all out, and, you know, making sure they're embracing all the stuff that we said to try. And at about two in the afternoon last week, eventually their flatmate, uh, spinning on a desk chair with their kind of kicking their legs out in their living room, eventually admitted, okay, So what are we meant to do now? I'm a bit bored, right? And I get it, right? When life has been about cramming, it's so full of stuff. When we strip it out and we strip it back, it can sound romantic, but it just can feel empty. So how are we to feast? That's the topic 
of this week's movement, the last of the four movements of the Sabbath, to feast. How are we to feast? Well, the easy definition, if you want to forget everything else that I say today, is that Sabbath is a day when I try to give God my full attention. It's a day when I make myself fully available to my family and my friends, a day that doesn't have a to-do list, a day where I don't accomplish anything and I don't feel guilty about it. It's a day when I don't do email and you'll find it even harder than it normally is to get a hold of me, a day when I try not to buy or sell anything to get Get more stuff. It's a day when I'm thankful for what I already have. That's it. That's what it means to feast. Remember what it said in Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Okay, that's the bit that normally we hear when we hear people talk about Sabbath. God rested, so we rest, right? But this is what it says in verse 3. Then God blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God rested. We get that, right? But it's that phrase in verse 3 that I'm interested in. And specifically, it's that word blessed, right? Because in Hebrew, that word is Barack, right? Yeah, just like the president, Barack Obama, blessing Obama, right? Now, a Barack is a life-giving ability to procreate, to make more life. And in the Genesis story, God Barack's three times, right? So first God baracks the animal kingdom and says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And you think, well, that makes sense. And then he baracks humans and says exactly the same thing. And you're like, okay. And the third time he baracks though, is the seventh day. In other words, the Sabbath has a life-giving ability to fill the world up with life, to fill your world up with life. That's what it's for. So that's the foundational principle of what we should do on the Sabbath. Sabbath is much more a rhythm than a rule book. And the problem with that is that we love rule books because they're simpler, they're easier to follow. But if over the last number of weeks you've been coming to the realization that you need to stop, but you find yourself wrestling with what you're meant to do to fill up that space, then here's your answer. Fill the world up with life. Don't fill it up with whatever just feels good, as is the world's mantra right now. Fill it up with whatever gives you, gives others life. Because filling the world up with life and doing what feels good are not the same thing. So I'm just going to suggest a couple of things today, principles, directions, that you should follow to build into your Sabbath. We've been talking about them every week, right? The first is, is rest, okay? But I think we've covered that. So we're covering the final three, worship, thanksgiving, and celebration. The first of them is worship. And worship music and style is still one of the more hotly contested and divisive issues of the modern church. In fact, I say modern church, but really I mean the church in just about every generation, which is really very sad when you think about it, right? Because it's actually a fundamentally agreed upon area of Christian life. That well-known doctrinal statement in the Westminster Confession of Faith that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever is by and large agreed by most followers of Jesus, most denominations, most people. And most of us understand that in us is this desire for worship. It's hardwired. It's why our hearts are captured, totally captured by people, places, things, careers, achievements. They are made to be captured, made to be captivated. When Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. He's talking about the death of one life and the start of a new one when we put our faith in Jesus. 
And with that comes a captivation of the heart. Whatever used to have my heart doesn't have it anymore. Jesus, you have my heart. And worship is the outpouring of that devotion. It's the outpouring of saying that. And when it comes to the place of worship and rest, though, how does that work? Well, recently I went cycling with a couple of friends, right? Now, two of us are completely average athletes, like middle of the bell curve types. But our friend is an ex-professional rugby player, like not just an ex-pro. We're talking like an exceptional player with an outstanding career. And not only that, what he was known for throughout his career was his dedication and his hard work at staying fit in the gym. He was and still is an absolutely incredible athlete. And I mean, he shows up, right? And his legs are like muscles on top of muscles. And to the non-looker that, was, that would have been driving by at that stage, looking at the three of us, two completely average punters and King Leonidas over there, there's only going to be one winner on the bike, right? There can only possibly be one winner. I mean, look at him. But the truth is this. He hasn't been cycling for very long. And my friend and I have been cycling for ages. And when it came to hills... We were way faster up a hill, hashtag humble brag, right? Feeling much better about myself at the top of every hill we got up. And it's not hard to see why when you think about it, right? He has been training his whole life to bulk up, be massive and strong and all of that sort of stuff. But in cycling, weight is a big deal and we weighed a lot less than him. He trained his whole life for a completely different sport, not cycling. You see, you can be a world-class athlete and be slower up a hill than a couple of average Joes because we've done a little training to be a cyclist and he'd done a lot to be something else. And when it comes to worship and where it fits in our Sabbath, the question is all about what sort of person we are becoming. And how, if we give ourselves to worship, we find that character nourished, built up, encouraged, challenged, restored, even redeemed. Because it speaks right at the heart of the person that I'm becoming, molding me, forming me, shaping me. You know, the last couple of years haven't been particularly straightforward for us, for Joy and I. We planted a church in October and then we had Elle in in November of the same year. And in that same season, we found out that my brother-in-law had pretty serious cancer. And then almost as Stephen was coming out, the worst of treatment and all of that stuff, my little niece got diagnosed with an extremely rare form of cancer, which is three months old. And it was devastating, right? The weight was devastating. And there are so many times where I can just remember driving somewhere or sitting on a bus, listening to the words of worship songs, in the case of the car, singing at the top of my lungs, right? Just weeping, just holding on as I let the words of those songs speak out the kind of faith that I was longing to hold on to, molding me, shaping me, speaking to the person that I'm becoming. And it's in these seasons and with that posture that I've learned that God doesn't always speak my language. He doesn't always speak my language. And sometimes I don't hear him in the busy parts of my life because I so long for him to speak the way I want. It's like being an act of service person, serving, slaving, doing everything you can imagine for someone you love to try to communicate that you love them and they're words of affirmation person and all they need are a few words, not hours of work. And if you don't give them the words, they'll never hear what you're trying to tell them. It's only when we love God enough that we begin to prefer his ways to ours, that we're open to hear him whatever way he communicates. You know, reading the Bible, it looks pretty clear to me that silence is also a language of God. And how will you hear it 
in a world full of noise. Sabbath is space to worship, however you do it. Even rest can become worship. This is what John Mark Comer says. When we rest well, it draws, even calls our attention to be creators of presence and beauty all around us. And when you do that in a spirit of gratitude, letting the goodness of your world and life conjure up an awareness of God and a love for him, then rest becomes worship. Sabbath is space for worship, whether that's singing, prayer, art, silence, doing stuff that gives you life, that speaks to the person that you're becoming. It's about worship. But also it's about thanksgiving. Sabbath is about thanksgiving. As John Mark says, it's about a spirit of gratitude at the goodness of God's work in our lives and in our world. So I have this pet peeve, right? And it's when people go and visit new places, uh, new cities, whatever, and they have written out a list of all of the craft beer bars, third wave coffee shops, high-end trainer shops that they're going to go to, right? They probably saw them on Instagram and they've decided before they go that they're going to visit all of these 25 places when they go to a new city. It's like an, itiner- an itinerary of this new place. And when they get there, they spend their whole time with their head down in Google Maps, navigating around to these 25 places they said they'd go to, or even more likely, looking at Instagram at the photos they're taking as they go. A number of years ago, whenever I was getting ready along with our team to plant Central into the city centre, somebody told me that the best way to prayer walk a city was to walk around with your eyes up. Looking up. Because often the most beautiful parts, the most interesting parts of a city are above the eye level. Eyes up. Try to take it all in. And Sabbath is space to look up, to take it in and let it stir us to thanksgiving because I think that deep down, humanity is wired for a number of things, right? They're like aches that are inside all of us, wherever you're from, wherever you are. Justice is one, for example. It may be different all around the world, but pick any people group anywhere ever and they've all had a form or a code of justice. We're also wired for relationships. We're wired for story. And I think another one is beauty. Every culture ever has had their own forms of art and creativity, craftsmanship from swords to cave art, painting to tattoos, woodwork to ornaments. Beauty is within us and part of what makes us human. And beauty has a place in the Sabbath. This is what Marva Dawn says. Observing the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to be as careful as we can, to fill our lives with beauty and to share beauty with the world around us. When we observe a day especially set apart for beauty, all the rest of life is made more beautiful. I don't know about you, but beauty evokes thankfulness from my heart. Nature, creation, sight, smell, sounds. It evokes thankfulness from within me. That's the amazing thing about the Sabbath. It's nearly all a right-brained activity when you think about it. And most of our working days, our world, our left-brained activity. Sabbath makes more of our senses, our emotions, our creativity, our intuition. It's about thankfulness. But also food, for example. Sabbath is a day to go all out, cook good food. I don't know about you, but food is something that I will always be thankful for. Take your time, feast on it. I remember when we were growing up in our house and there were months and times when mum and dad were skint, right? And I would hear my mum say this phrase to us as a family, it's a mince month because mince was cheap, right? So we ate mince all the time because it was cheap and you could get loads of it for little money. 
But it made me so thankful whenever we got to Sunday because my parents, in the way that they intentionally went about their Sabbath, we always had a Sunday roast. And it was incredible. After a week of mints and cheaper foods, you got to Sunday and you got a roast. And it was incredible. It was incredible thankfulness for that. We're back in the days before Tesco. Uh, can you imagine it, right? Some of you literally can't imagine it, right? The days of Stuart's and crazy prices, which really are just like Tesco, only really rubbish, okay? Uh, strawberries weren't available all year round, okay? You could only get them when they were in season, but I still remember what it tasted like to get strawberries close to the summertime. They were incredible, right? Not the sort of bland types that we get in October when they've flown half the way around the world to be in your bowl, right? I mean, I know how I feel after flying half the way around the world. So they taste like I feel, don't they? But then you get to June and you get British strawberries and they are incredible. They taste the way they should. And it stirs us to thankfulness. You know, something about the incredible plenty of the world that we live in so easily robs us of how special some things are. Sabbath is a space for the special. It's a space for beauty. And it's a space to be thankful for it. It's about worship, thanksgiving. And finally, Sabbath is about celebration. I say celebration, but in the world of Jewish culture, it's more like festival, right? Sabbath is a weekly festival. And the thing about festivals is that they're kind of this paradox, right? They're this mixture of anticipation and memory, right? For example, when we take communion together in the church, we often say these words, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. Remember, memory, until he comes, anticipation, right? There's this excitement of what is going on around you, and there's this awareness of what has gone before. Previous festivals, the road you've been on since, how things have changed. What do I mean? Well, it's like speaking to someone who's lost somebody they love around Christmas time. And Christmas forevermore becomes entwined with both the excitement of Christmas and the blessing of the moment that they're in and the memory of the years before when they were here. Anticipation and memory. And to practice Sabbath is to practice celebration, anticipation and memory every single week. And there's lots of things I could touch on at this stage about how we're meant to do that. But I'm just going to touch on one of them. And that one that I want to speak about is people, right? We celebrate people on the Sabbath. We are made for relationship. And it seems to me as I look out at our world that so many people have substituted connection for intimacy. So many people are desperate for affection, but they don't know how to give it or receive it. Sabbath is a space for intimacy and affection because it gives us the possibility for learning to deepen our relationships and to embrace others. It's right at the start of the Bible. God says that the image of God, which we carry, involves relationship, right? As in the fullness of the image of God as expressed in relationship. It's not expressed in the singular. It's expressed in the plural. What do I mean? Well, this is what it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the 
ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We came from relationship. Let us make mankind in our image. And God's image is in us, not me, in us. In the image of God, he created them. Yes, God's image is in us, singular, but it's most beautifully expressed in us, plural. So sure, Sabbath is a day for retreat, reflection, and contemplation. Of course it is. It's time to work on ourselves, but also it's a space for the corporate. And one of the things I love so much about the church is that it's full of people who aren't the same, right? Who probably wouldn't choose relationship with each other and yet commit to to live with it. To live it out. Across the generations, across economic circumstances, across nationalities, who live it out. There is greater intimacy in this room than in the bedroom of a hundred one-night stands. Intimacy involves every aspect of who we are. It's not just physical. We are created with minds, spirits, and souls that we get to share deeply with each other. Sabbath is space for affection, to celebrate one another. Married people, interestingly, you get a little extra something special in the world of affection and relationship when it comes to celebration, right? Marva Dawn in her book, uh, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, says this, rabbinic guidelines include an injunction that married people should have sex on the Sabbath, right? At this moment, every married male has just turned to their wife and done that nodded thing at them, right? Next Central Seasons playlist is called Sabbath. It's going to be full of Barry White, Marvin Gaye, slow jams, and you're going to find it on heavy rotation on a Friday night right I'm joking I'm not joking I'm joking I'm joking but Sabbath is space to celebrate each other to invest in each other to bless each other to be invested in in the space it provides celebration is about food people life-giving life-breathing stuff this is what Sarah Wenger Schenk says celebration is the honoring of that which we hold most dear Celebration is delighting in that which tells us who we are. Celebration is taking the time to cherish each other. Celebration is returning with open arms and thankful hearts to our maker. Ceasing, resting, embracing and feasting. That's the movement of the Sabbath. So now will you travel it in your lives in pursuit of rest that speaks to the heart of who we are and who we are becoming from the good design of an incredible God. I just want to read these words from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, the message translation, because I think they speak right to the heart of where we are, of maybe where you are in these moments right now. Let them speak to you. Let them rest on you. Let them move you to the realization that rest that speaks to who you are is what you need. It's what God's calling out of you and every human being built into uh, and hardwired into us. This is, these are the words of Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, but keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.